Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. I want to talk to you on the man born blind. Now, if you were with us last uh, Sunday night, I touched on this uh, kind of as a side note to uh, some things that we were teaching during the during that service last week. But all week long, ever since then, this story has just been going over and over and on the inside of me, and, and the Lord's been dealing with me about it. And So I recognize that that's something that the Lord wants me to do uh, or get into in greater detail, maybe is, is a good way to say it. So that's what we want to do tonight. John chapter 9, let's begin in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now, notice the question is the same for the disciples in their day that people question today about healing, and that is it's the question of sin. Their question is, whose sin caused this? They know that sin is the, the root cause. So they want to know whose sin caused this. Now, of the 19 cases of individual healing uh, in Jesus' ministry that the four Gospels tell us of, 13 of those 19 cases either specifically speak to or reveal through action the faith of the individual. This is one that's revealed by action rather than the definition of faith. And it's also interesting to note that of those 19 cases of healing in Jesus' ministry as recorded in the four Gospels, five of them were people that were blind. There were more blind people healed in Jesus' ministry than any other category that we have record of. There's a lot of people that were healed that we don't know what their situation was, where the Bible speaks of multitudes being healed and so forth. John said if everything Jesus said and did was recorded, the world itself couldn't contain the books. So I think we would have to conclude that there's a, a whole lot more people that were healed than we, what we have record of. But Holy Ghost seemed to see fit to give us a representation of the healing ministry of Jesus and therefore the will of God concerning healing through these 19 individual cases. Now let's talk about the sin issue, the sin question. There is one case in Jesus' ministry, and that's in John chapter 5, where the man was healed at the pool of Bethesda, the crippled man that was looking for somebody to put him in the water, but he was too slow to get there. You remember the story about how the angel would come down periodically, not on any kind of schedule, but every now and then, the angel would stir up the waters, and the first one in would get healed, whatever the condition was. And Jesus approaches him and says, Wilt thou be made whole? And he tells him how slow he is. He doesn't have somebody to throw him in the water first. Well, Jesus tells him to rise, take up his bed, and walk. He's healed. And the, uh, the Jews call him into question because he's healed on the Sabbath day. And so their concern is that Jesus or somebody would bro have broken their law, which wasn't the law of Moses, just their interpretation of it. 
rather than the man being healed. Jesus found him later on and said to him, Go and sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Now there's one of two ways we can look at that, and I'm not sure which way is right. You, you can decide for yourself. He's either telling him that his sin was the cause of his sickness to begin with, which is certainly possible. But if you go back and read earlier in the story, you'll find out that he'd been in this case 38 years. So something he did more than 38 years before could have been the cause or opened the door to the sickness coming upon him. Or the second way to look at it, second possibility, is that Jesus is just telling him to live a, a holy life to avoid opening the door to any further sickness or disease or problems in his future. Which way that is, I don't know. I can see it both ways. I could argue it both ways if somebody wanted to take the other side. But after we finish arguing, we're not going to know for sure. The other instance where sin is spoken of in relation to sickness is in James chapter 5. Verse 14 uh, says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over him, the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And then there's another statement made about this. And if he's committed sins, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It doesn't say that sickness is the result of sin on the part of the individual, but sometimes it might be. If, if he's committed sins, then they'll be forgiven. Now, the thing that I want you to realize, the point that I want you to see in this is if we assume, whether right or wrong, if we assume that the man in John chapter 5 was sick because of his own sin, and if we assume that somebody in James chapter 5 operating on the instruction in James chapter 5 is sick with whatever condition because of their own sin, neither situation disqualified them from receiving their healing. See, Jesus didn't come to the man at the pool of Bethesda and say, oh my goodness, of all the people I could have picked, you're the one that I've got to leave crippled because this is due to your own sin. That's not what he did. And James chapter 5 doesn't say, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up unless he's committed sins. It just says, if he's committed sins, then those shall be forgiven too. It doesn't even say it's a special prayer to forgive it. So the question that the disciples raise or pose to Jesus, whose sin caused this problem? If Jesus had said it was the man's sin, which is hard to imagine how that could be since he was born blind, or if he'd said it was his parents' sin, neither of those situations would have negated or disqualified them the man, the blind man, from receiving his healing. Now, see, the reason I want to point this out is because I'm just like you. The devil comes to all of us the same way, and he tries to tell you that you're disqualified from receiving the things that the Bible says belongs to you because of the mistakes you've made. That's never the case. Even Jesus, in telling us about the operation of faith in Mark chapter 11, Verse 23, he said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 goes on to say, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, including healing, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning believing you receive your healing, when you pray, and you shall have them. You shall, you shall have your healing, in other words. Verse 25, he continues talking about the same subject, receiving from God. He said, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody, that your heavenly Father may also forgive you your sins. Now, Jesus is being faithful to show us the number one hindrance to faith working, the number one cause for faith not working, which is unforgiveness. But he does not say, and when you stand praying, if you're in unforgiveness, just forget it. He says, and when you stand praying, forgive. Step back over into love. Because as soon as you step back over into love, it puts your faith back to work. It makes your faith active so that you're in a position to receive from God. So sin, although the cause, the root cause for all sickness and disease here in the earth, individual sin is never a disqualifier from receiving from God. Are you with me? Now look back to John chapter 9. The disciples ask a question, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. They know sin is the cause. Their question is, whose sin caused it? Well, if Jesus' answer is, neither is this man's sin nor his parents, then whose sin is the cause or whose sin created the problem? All sickness and disease is caused by Adam's original sin in the Garden of Eden. John Alexander Dowie said, Sickness is the offspring, the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and his mother, sin. That's always the case. There's no sickness and disease showing up in the Garden of Eden until following or after the fall of man. God made an end of everything he made and created in the first six days, and there's no sickness in sight. So God couldn't have made it. So when the question is asked, who did sin, this man or his parents, Jesus just simply asked their question. He said, neither did this man sin nor his parents. But then he says something that he's focused on. He said, but that the works of him that sent me, well, let me, let me quote it or speak it, read it accurately. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. Now, Jesus' concern is one thing and always the same thing, and that is doing the work of God. It's interesting to note over in John chapter 5, after Jesus is, approaches the man at the pool of Bethesda and tells him, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, saying this, My father worketh hereto, or hitherto, and I work. Now notice the comparison between Jesus in the healing work for the man in the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. And what he said in John chapter 9 in verse 3 and 4, 
but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus goes on a little bit further in John chapter 5 when the Jews decide they want to kill him and do away with him because he's made himself equal with God by saying, My Father worketh hitherto, and so do I. Jesus then explained the Son can do nothing of himself. The works that he does, he does because of the life of God within him. Now, I want you to understand something, folks. I want you to keep it in mind. Jesus... One goal, one purpose, was to do the work of his father. He identifies in John chapter 5 that healing was the work of his father. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 34, he said, my meat is to do the will of the father. That was his one goal, his sole purpose, to do the will of the father. Therefore, everybody that healed, Jesus healed, He must have healed by the will of the Father. Now, here's why that's important. I was taught growing up in Sunday school that the reason this man was born blind was so that Jesus would have somebody to heal when he passed by that way. And the verse designation in the King James translation, as well as the punctuation, seems to lend itself to that thought. From the King James, Jesus answers, Neither is this man's sin nor his parents' colon, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, period. And that's where they make the the verse break. So the translators must have thought, from their understanding of God, that the reason that this man was blind, born blind, was so that Jesus would have somebody to do the works of God in him. But I want you to notice something Jesus says. Jesus says, I must work the works of God, works the works of him that sent me while it's day. In other words, while the man is blind, while the, man is blind the works of God have not been made manifest in him. Now remember what God said about himself. Numbers 23, verse 19, I believe it is. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Then he talks about making good his word. But God identifies of himself that he doesn't change. God says of himself in another point, another place in the Old Testament, he said, I am God, I change not. The New Testament brings out this truth as well in James chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. That means there's no changing. Neither shadow of turning. There's not even a shadow of turning or change in God. Which means this. If it was ever God's will for this man in John chapter 9 to be born blind. Then it's always going to be God's will for him to be blind. Because God never changes his will. And since God is no respecter of persons, that means if there was ever God's will for anybody to be sick in any form with any sickness or disease in any way whatsoever, he would want the same thing for all of his children. Which means if God is always the same and never changes, he's going to have to be on one side or the other of the healing issue. 
but he can't be on both. He's either on the side where his will is for people to be sick or he's on the side for people to be well. It's one way or the other. Can't be both. Jesus says, neither is this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I'll put a comma there. I've got just as much a right to translate or to punctuate the verse as the translators did since the original text has no punctuation. And I'm sure on this point, at least in this instance, I have a greater understanding of the knowledge of God than they did. Jesus said, neither is this man sin nor his parents, period. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when nobody can work. So Jesus is saying that I've got work to do on behalf of the will of the Father. What work did he do? He healed the man from blindness. So that identifies for us clearly which side of the healing and sickness issue God's own. He's not on the sickness side. He's on the healing side. And since God is no respecter of persons, if he's on the healing side for the blind man in John chapter 9, he's got to be on the healing side for you and me. Now, let me give you another proof. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We've given about three so far. But let me give you another witness, and that is over in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Peter is preaching in Cornelius' house. You remember the story how the angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send to Peter, send for Peter at a certain place. Peter came down and preached the gospel to them. And here's part of Peter's preaching that gets them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now that's telling us a couple of things. First of all, it's telling us that Jesus went about doing good and healing, which means healing always has to be good. If healing always has to be good, by definition, then that means sickness always has to be bad. That means healing, or that means, excuse me, means sickness can never be a work of God because every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the God that never changes. So the good has to be the healing that comes down from above. But the, the point that I really want you to see is, a little bit further in the verse, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, thank God he did, who went about doing good and healing, who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil. All that were oppressed of the devil. That tells us that everybody that Jesus healed, whether they're the, the ones that we have enumerated in these 19 individual cases of healing in the four Gospels, or the multitudes that are just grouped together that we don't know how many there were or what conditions there were. Anybody and everybody that was healed in Jesus' ministry was oppressed of the devil. Well, that would include this guy in John chapter 9, wouldn't it? It would have to. Which means by definition, Jesus cannot be saying this man was born blind so I'd have somebody to heal. He cannot be saying this man was born blind by the will of God. Because everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. See, folks, when you understand the basics, it makes everything else so much simpler. When you understand that sickness is always of the devil, 
then it settles the question of healing once and for all. You don't have to wonder about the will of God, who did what. You can know very clearly. And have you ever noticed that Jesus never had to stop and pray when somebody came to him for healing? He never had to consider the point that so much of the modern church makes or tries to make. It's an unscriptural position. So so much of the modern church claims that they're sick to glorify God in some way or another. Jesus never had to stop and take a knee and ask the Father, is this one sick for your glory? And the reason for that is because he knew the sickness was always caused by sin, the original sin, the common sin of us all when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. He knew that sickness was always caused by the devil himself. Can you see that? Now I want you to see something else about this. Notice when Jesus says, I must do the works of him that sent me. Notice how he does the works. He spit on the ground and made a little pat of clay and spread it on his eyes. Now was the man healed when he put the clay on his eyes? So there couldn't have been any healing power in the clay. There are times where we have examples in Jesus' ministry of where he spit on people. One place he spit on a blind man's eyes and opened his eyes. Another place he spit on his finger and touched the tip of his finger to his t- a man's tongue. And he wasn't able to speak until he touched his tongue and then the string of his tongue was loose. So we have a couple of examples where Jesus healed people through his spit. I'm so glad God didn't give me that ministry. Cut down on the size of your healing lines, I bet. But the point is very simple. There couldn't have been any healing power or virtue in the spit or in the clay itself. Or else the man would have been healed instantly. But then Jesus told him to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. Now there's no healing power or healing virtue in the pool of Siloam. Or else the blind man and everybody else would have been there to be healed. Interestingly enough, the Bible tells us in the uh, New Testament that the word Siloam means sent. That's close. In the Hebrew, the word is Shiloh, a variation of the word Shiloh, which means sent one. So here's Jesus spitting on the ground, making a little mud pack, putting it on the eyes of the man and saying, go wash off in the waters of the sent one. It's a type, and I think you can see the picture clearly. It's a type of the waters of the Holy Spirit being the healing agent by the sent one, which is a type of Jesus. So what I want you to see is this. There's a difference in receiving healing from Jesus today as opposed to when he was here on the earth. And here's the difference. Jesus was in physical form, ministering healing by the Spirit. But the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, which means that Jesus is doing the same healing works today as he did then, or else the Bible's a lie. Here's the difference. In the four Gospels, Jesus was in physical form, ministering healing by the Spirit, not by the physical. Today, Jesus is in spirit form, 
ministering healing by the Spirit. And that's the only difference there is. The same healing power is available. The same Spirit of God is the healing agent. The same devil is the originator and cause of sickness and disease. And Jesus is the same healer. Amen. Now the rest of the story is contained in the remainder of the chapter 9. And I'd like to... I'd like to read the whole thing, but I don't want to take time to do it. And the reason I don't want to take time to do it is I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time on the devil's work. I want to pick out a couple of verses, though, for you to see. After this man comes again healing, uh, healed or seeing, the Pharisees have a confab about what happened to this guy. And rightly so. You understand that they would have questions. They asked, how did you get healed? And he relates the story. This man named Jesus spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and told me to wash in the pool of Siloam, and I came again seeing. Not everybody even accepted that he was the man that he was. Some said, well, it looks like the guy that was born blind, but we can't be sure. They questioned his parents. His parents, their parents, the scripture says, are afraid of being cast out of the synagogue, excommunicated from the synagogue. So they said, well, yeah, he was born blind, but he's a grown man. He can answer for himself. Ask him what the problem was and what happened. They don't want to be turned down. Finally, they come to the point where they tell the man to give God the glory and not Jesus because they believe he's a sinner. And the man answers, this is where I want to pick up the story. Let me find the verse. Um, let's start reading in verse 24 then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him give God the praise we know that this man speaking of Jesus is a sinner and he answered and said whether he's a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know that whereas I was blind now I see then they said unto him again what did he do to you how did he open your eyes He answered them and said, I've told you already and you didn't hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then things get kind of dicey. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. And as for this fellow, we don't know from whence he is. And the man answered, I like this guy. He's got some real grit to him. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you don't know from where he is. And yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it is not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. And dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Turn him out of the synagogue. That's it for you. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And the man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. 
and he worshiped him. The other part of the story, the other half of the story in John chapter 9 is this. It's an account of the lengths that religion will go to deny Jesus is the healer. It's interesting that the very story which proves to those that are willing to hear the truth that Satan is the oppressor with sickness and disease and Jesus is the healer and that it's the will of God always the will of God to do healing works what I mean by that is if God had wanted this man blind at ever at any point in time as we said his will never changes that means if Jesus had healed him then he's working contrary to the will of the father which makes Jesus a sinner which means he wasn't a worthy sacrifice for your sins. See, folks, no matter how you look at this, healing has always got to be the will of God. Sickness has always got to be the work of the devil. But the very story that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt to those that will hear, and, and not everybody will, the Pharisees certainly wouldn't, and they had, it, had the guy right in front of them. But the very story that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that healing is always the will and the work of God and that sins in themselves do not disqualify you from being healed is the very story that religion uses today in the modern church to claim that God is the one that sometimes makes people sick. Oh yeah, people will say, we know that God can heal. We just don't know if he always wants to. Well, if he ever wanted to heal anybody and doesn't want to heal everybody, then that means he's a respecter of persons and the Bible has to be a lie. If he ever wants one blessing for one of his children that he doesn't want for all of his children, then the Bible has to be a lie where it says he is no respecter of persons. Well, if that verse is not true, how many others aren't true? Then we're left with the unhappy dilemma to try to figure out for ourselves what part of the Bible is true and what part isn't. And whether people admit it or not, that's what most of the modern day church is doing. They're accepting part of the word of God as truth. The part concerning forgiveness of sins. The work of Jesus concerning forgiveness of sins. But they reject the part where it talks about healing. But I would submit to you a truth, folks. And that is Jesus did not pay a separate price for sickness and disease from the price that he paid for sin. Both were paid for by the shedding of his blood. The only reason the Bible identifies or specifies that with his stripes we were healed is so that we will know that the shedding of his blood while he was on trial in Pilate's court counted, that shedding of blood counted for the healing of sickness and disease. Otherwise, it's just simply the offering of his blood to do away with the ravages of sin, which includes sickness and disease. But look at the lengths that religion will go to deny that truth. The devil knew that he had to do a great work, even in Jesus' day. Because as the blind man said himself, it's never been heard of that somebody that was born blind was healed. 
Thank God healing is always ours. It's always the will of God. It's always the will of God. Now, folks, I want to conclude with this. The Bible says, in the Old Testament, the promise was this. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, talking about the law of Moses, I will take sickness away from the midst of you because I am the Lord that healeth you. So the promise was conditional. If you believe in the statutes that Jesus is the healer or that God is the healing God, and if you'll keep the law of Moses, then he will take sickness from the midst of you. That's not a New Testament scripture. It's not a New Testament promise. See, there's never a point based on any condition where Jesus will take sickness from you. The reason for that is he's already taken sickness from you. See, the promise was pointing to the work of the Messiah where there would come a particular and specific point in time, moment in time, where the blood of the Messiah would be offered for sin and sickness. That point has gone. That point has occurred. That moment in time has taken place. So there's never a position, never a place where God will heal you. But there is a moment in time, a real moment, where Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. Now finally turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Here's why that's important. Jesus told the disciples when he questioned them, who do men say that I am? You remember the story how that Peter answered and said, well, some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he said, who do you say I am? Peter answers for the group and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A better translation of that is, and you may bind whatever is bound in heaven. And you, may, you have authority to loose whatever has been loosed in heaven. The point is this. Jesus bound sickness and disease along with sin when he shed his blood on the cross. That's already happened. There's not one moment of work left to be done for that to be accomplished. It's already done. Well, if it's already done, why are so many Christians sick? Because Jesus doing the work in and of himself is not the final word on the subject. He did the work from heaven's side. But there's a work for you and I to do from the physical side, from the earthly side. That work is very simply this. We have to use our authority to exercise our authority in the name of Jesus to take hold of what Jesus has already done. Think of it like this. Jesus died for the sins of the world, didn't he? Why isn't all the world saved? Because they haven't exercised their authority to receive it for themselves. But as soon as you exercise your authority by the determination of your will to take hold of what he did you become a new creature in him your sins are wiped away 
You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The same thing has to be done where sickness and disease is concerned. Or maybe a better way to say that is the same thing has to be done where healing is concerned. You have to exercise your authority to take hold of the healing work that Jesus did through the shedding of his blood. How do you do that? Did you find Mark chapter 11? Notice what Jesus said in verse 23. Whosoever shall say, the exercise of your authority is always demonstrated and released through the words of your mouth. Whosoever shall say, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Whosoever shall say, I didn't finish it. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, shall not speak anything to the contrary. But shall believe. Continue to say what he said to begin with. Continue to speak to the mountain. Continue to confess what you've already declared over the mountain. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Here's what faith to receive healing looks like. Figuratively. It's where you and I take the position that we're standing on the plain where the mountain of sickness used to be. When we exercise our authority to take hold of the healing work of Jesus for ourselves, then the mountain, which represents sickness and disease in our life, has to go at our words. It has to obey our words. So by faith, we are standing with sickness still present in our body, with pain still operating in our flesh. By faith, we're standing on the plain, the the flat place where the mountain of sickness and disease used to be. That's the kind of faith it receives every time. The devil is trying to draw your attention to your symptoms. Yeah, but what do you feel like? Doesn't matter. I'm standing on a plane where sickness and disease used to exist. The Bible says you'll have what you say. In other words, the mountain of sickness will become a plane. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true and thank you that it's so simple for us to take hold of what belongs to us. We're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. We're moved only by the truth of your word. So, Father, we declare, say this after me, we declare in the name of Jesus that we are free from sickness and disease. We take authority over sickness and command it to leave our bodies. Now, Father, we've commanded sickness and disease to go. So by faith, we declare that we're standing on the plain where the mountain of sickness used to be. Thank you, Father, for making it so in Jesus' name. Amen. You hold fast to that confession and refuse to say anything to the contrary. It's impossible for the devil to enforce sickness in your body. May be quick, may not be quick, but he has to go. Amen?
Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.